Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be here today? Come on, put your hands together. Give the Lord a clap off and praise. There's a level of excitement and energy in, in this place that is contagious. So if you came in sad, I don't think you can leave here sad. If you came here burdened, I don't think you can even leave here the same condition. Uh, and it isn't that we got it all together yet. Uh, we're on, on a journey toward uh, living a life of purpose and honoring God. And you look around the room, you see very normal people. You see a variety of people that are going through different stages of struggles and battles. But we realize that as long as our faith in God is strong, you do what you need to do, do the right thing. But as long as your faith in, in God is strong, God will see us through. Is there an amen in the house? Amen. God is good. Amen. Welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, I'm glad you made an appointment to be with us. And I, I pray that God would bless you tremendously and that you know, your needs will be met, that the Lord would speak to your heart, and that um, really my, my prayer as we gather is always that when you leave this place, you live, leave differently than what you came in. Uh, I've been following through, and I know you have been as well, um, through the fasting. Today's the last day of the fast, 21 days, right? Thank God for good, great beginnings, and thank God for great endings at this moment, too. Amen. And you survived. You made it. Amen. You left behind a few things, including some pounds that you wanted to leave behind, and they're gone. Amen. And today we celebrate, uh, and I think that's a point of celebration. But as we've been doing the reading, the reading for today is very intriguing for me. And um, we find in the book of John, chapter 17, the longest biblical recording of, of a prayer of Jesus, the longest one, is found in John chapter 17. And I've always found out, or discovered rather, that if you really want to know what people that care about you, um, uh, people that really care about you say about you, you have to listen closely. Yes. Listen closely. Because... Friends will talk good about you now because you have a dollar in your pocket. Well, let me see, inflation. You have $10 in your pocket today. And then tomorrow when you don't have anything you can give back. You know, I, I foolishly left Wall Street. Not foolish, but on this point, I just foolishly. Left Wall Street back in 1991, right? And I had friends there, people that we helped along the way and people that we promote, you know, moved along the way. And I was foolish in thinking that after I was gone, that friendships would continue, because I'm a friendship kind of guy. So you're not going to believe this, but for two years after I left Wall Street, I'm still calling those people and setting up appointments to have lunch, because, you know, real friends, I thought, right? Until I discovered something that you probably already know. And in my innocence, I said, wait a minute, I don't bring anything to the bottom line, so why would they even be interested in me? Why would they want to return a call or sit down with a pastor now who can't add to their, uh, their bottom line? And I discovered it. Well, so then you know what happened? I stopped calling. And you know what they did too? Well, they never called anyway before that. It was always me. So. But no sorrows. My point in saying that story is that oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, we have to really understand that there's some people in our lives that you really want to listen to what they're telling you. Growing up, when my mom said, I need to talk to you, that means something different. When my wife looks at me and says, we need to talk. That's different when you tell me along the, the offering line, Pastor, I need to see you afterwards. So the prayer, of John, uh, the prayer of Jesus recorded in John is interesting for us because I think it tells us not so much about Jesus, but a lot more about where we fit into God's strategy and mission. And I want to encourage you to look at it later on. John 
written in the, in, in the year 90, the end of the first century, with the benefits now of having seen Jesus come and, and minister and, be, and die, and then also the aftermath of his transition into heaven and the Holy Spirit coming in, because he's writing at the tail end of the, the first century. Jesus was already gone at least three, 30 years, uh, was already gone. And so he's writing about the context, in, in that context of people in expectation uh, of the Lord coming again, because he said, I'm going, but I'm going to return. And there was this thought in that time in the first century that it was an imminent return, that he had died, they saw him crucified and buried, and then, but they knew that he was coming back immediately. That was the anticipation. And so that speaks into how people approach faith and how they approach God, the deity. In fact, how they approach life. Because they were expecting his imminent return, immediate return. But it was not that. Because even till this day, we're still anticipating the return of the Lord for his church. So Jesus is writing this long narrative, John chapter 17, called the intercessory prayer. And in, here, in there, we find some elements, again, that I think speak to who we are in the heart of Jesus. And I think it will help us, particularly now, as we're closing out the first month, January, and we're facing the rest of 1917, uh, you know, it'll help us to kind of guide our lives and put it in a track where we will make this year better than last year. I don't know about you, but I'm not expecting the same old, same old for this year. I'm expecting the Lord to bless more. I'm expecting to do more for God. I'm expecting to serve more. Because it isn't a one-way street of God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, feed me, feed me. No, but the, it's a reciprocal relationship. So I'm expecting to give more of myself unto the Lord this year, because this year is going to be a blessed year. You don't have to say amen. I'm going to say amen. It's going to be a blessed year. No sickness, no pain, no problems. And when they come, the strength to make it through. I don't live in, I don't live in fantasy world. When the problems come to be able to navigate through and make it through unscathed and, and, and look good doing it. Is there an amen in the house? How are you doing? Oh, I'm tired. I'm doing, going through trials. Carrying a heavy burden. How are you doing? Look at the weather. That's how I feel. Oh, my goodness. No, good in the Lord. More than conquerors. Going to make it through. So Jesus writes this, and I just want to highlight a few certain, not, not the whole thing because that would be a long course that we would have to take, but a few elements in here that I think fit into what we're going to do today when we pray for your homes and the keys that are represented at the, at the close of my comments. John's, John 17. I already told you the background. John writes, year 90, the end of the first century. He's writing in that context that I just told you. John is also presenting Jesus for the newcomers here. You won't find in the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's called the fourth gospel. You will not find in the, book of, uh, in the Gospel of John that, that uh, uh, Christmas story. You won't. There's no manger, there's no star in the sky, there's no three kings, nothing. It, right out of the gate, he says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you first read the first 18 verses of chapter 1, that's the prologue, you'll find there's some tremendous, tremendous Christian uh, theological foundations that help us. And that, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14. And we beheld His glory. Very powerful. So he's writing about Jesus, not as a baby, but he's writing for us as the fully manifested Messiah, promised one. From that vantage point, he's writing, and he's presenting to us what would be called in, 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 in Bible school circles, uh, realized eschatology, that this is it. This is who you were waiting for. And I want to tell you the same thing. This is what you were waiting for. Not what might be happening in City Hall or in Washington, D.C., or anywhere else in the world, but this is the person you've been waiting for. Jesus Christ in your life. He doesn't want to take anything away from you. He wants to add value to your life. 
add value to your career, add value to your home, add value to your family. That's what he wants to do, add value to your life. So from that understanding, let's read. He, he says in verse 9, I'm going to jump right to verse 9. He says, look at this. He says in verse 9, I, say I with me. I. All right, just stop there. I pray for them. He's saying I. Wait a minute. How many people do you know that tell you, tell so-and-so to pray for me? How many people do you know send a messenger? But here Jesus is not sending a disciple to pray for us. He's not t sending a, a Paul to pray for us. Or the apostle Peter instilling in him the desire to pray for us. He's saying to the Father, I pray for them. I, me, pray for my wife. I pray for my sons. I pray for my daughter-in-laws who are like my daughters. I pray for my granddaughters. I. Jesus is saying, this is so close to my heart. They are so important to me. Don't, don't devalue yourself. You are so important that Jesus is saying in John 9 and John 17, in the intercessory prayer, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible, that he is praying for you. What's your problem? You don't need to dial 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME-TODAY because I'm going to die. Or log in to pray all the prayers I need. If you believe in me, say, like it. Come on now. He is praying. And remember where his station is. Remember that, yes, he died. Yes, he resurrected. We'll be celebrating that in Holy Week. And yes, he ascended. But the Bible says that he is at the right hand. Not the left. Bible. Right hand is the place of authority. At the right hand of who? Of the Father. And what's he doing? Interceding for us. So Jesus, I, I, this is the way I envision this, because I have to make the Bible alive to me. I don't know about you. I'm getting excited. I'll calm down in a few moments, because I don't see you getting too excited, but I'm getting excited about this. So if Jesus is praying for me, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father is right here, looking over the entire creative dominion that he has made simply by speaking things into existence, as you find in Genesis chapter 1, because he said, let there be, and there was... That God, he's sitting at the right hand of that God, the one that, is, is, that was and is and is to come, the one that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the one that was the beginning and the end, the one that always is, that God, he's standing at the right hand of that God, and he's saying, what about my guy Mark down there on earth? Or your name? That's what he's saying. What's he saying about Karen? He did, he's, not sending a, he's not having an emissary. It says here, John is saying that Jesus said, I pray for them. And if nothing should make you happy right now, it should be that statement. You should be clapping and praising the Lord. Because he's praying for you. You don't need an intercessory team. You don't need a, a, somebody else, to, uh, a godfather, godmother to pray for you. You have Jesus himself interceding for us. He says, I pray for them. I pray, I am not praying for the world in this prayer, but for those you have given to me, for they are yours. And he's not praying for the world, because when you look at John 17, that prayer, it is really broken down into segments of prayer. And he says, in this prayer, I'm praying for them. I'm interceding for them. Second observation I see in this text is found in verses 10, the, latter, the first part of verse 10, and then on through to verse 11, and then we jump to 15. And this is a, that Jesus is also praying for our protection. Say protection with me, protection. Look at what he says. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. 
And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me. You heard Pastor East prayer when she closed out the prayer. She said, I pray in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of this church or our religion or theology, but in the name that is above. The Bible says his name will make every knee to bow. Hallelujah. His name has power. It is in his name uh, that, that has power. We will bow down to his name. Sickness will bow down to his name, the sound of his name. So he says, Father, you gave them to me, and, and, uh, 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 and I have given, uh, he says here, may, I'm reading the wrong text. Here he goes, up here. Second point. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name you gave me. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Let me explain this to you, and let me rebuke you for a moment. Stop praying to God, I've got to get out of here. I can't take it anymore. Take me home, Lord. Stop that. That's not biblical. You said, but I can't take it. You can take it. You have broad shoulders. You've, you've been able to handle it this far. Pastor, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. And it's horrible. Dealing with grief and sorrow and carrying the burdens that you have to carry, having your heart pierced, all the things that are horrible in humanity. It's just horrible. But don't pray the prayer, i got to get out. Glorify God by carrying your burden. Glorify God by trusting him that he's going to see you through. Glorify God by, by bearing up when other people are giving up. No, you bear up. You said, I'm not going to turn around. And Danny Bell Hall sings that song, this is not the time for giving up. Uh, giving up. This is the time for holding on. And you need to hold on to the Lord. Yes, you lost a job. Yes, the doctor is telling you, I need to see you next week. Yes, the, the home life is horrible. Yes, you don't even want to go home. Yes, at night you don't even want to go to sleep because the things you can't shut off the mind. Yes, 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 yes. But God didn't give you a ticket to Mars. Hallelujah. Look what he says. He says, they're still on earth. Look at the text. They're still on earth. And, but the Lord is saying, even though they're going through, and Lord, by the way, church, I want to tell you very openly, things might not change. Things might not get better, but God is unchangeable. Hold on to him. Your house, build your house on him, on the rock, which is, and that's faith. That's not religion. Religions come and go. Preachers come and go. Religious leaders come and go. But if you place your faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, your home will prosper. Your future will prosper. This year will be a phenomenal year. You'll start off on an incredible future for yourself and others around you. Come on, if you're going to clap, clap together, all together. Praise the Lord. And he says, protect them by the power of your name. Not, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. And for those friends that are here, let me just announce to you today that there is a war going on. And the Bible is clear that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the air. And there, is a, uh, there are demonic forces and powers of darkness that you know and ex have experienced in your journey very well. That what they're trying to do is just break things up, destroy you, kill you, make you, make you lose your mind, make you imagine things that aren't really there, have crazy dreams. Man, uh, not only does God knock on your door, but there's also a, a, a powers of darkness that are knocking on your door, making your kids crazy, making you think that you can't make it, letting that injury that you suffered when you were a child become bigger than what it really is, someone that's not out to help you, but out to destroy you. The Bible is clear, Ephesians. Paul writing to the Ephesian church, our, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the air. 
And you know it's true. You walk into a room, you don't even have to be spiritual. You walk into a room and you sense something. They introduce you to somebody in a different function. And when you shake that hand, something's like, you're like, just make sure they don't feel the same thing. <laughs> Isn't it true? I've walked into meetings and you, you, you know. But when you're in the light, you don't have to worry. That's why I want to get to the second part of this. We're living in a world of darkness. But if you're standing in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that faith will sustain you in getting through those dark places. Don't go looking for dark places. But when you find yourself in those situations, the light of God shining in you will help you make it through. And, you know, we're living in an urban context. You live in a building. Many people live in the building. You don't know what goes on in your neighbor's house on the other side. Or you moved into an apartment. You don't know what kind of stuff went on in there before. That's why we're doing the prayer for the keys today, by the way. Your home and your future. And some of you are going to bring up... Uh, of deeds that you have for an apartment that you're getting and your future career. We're going to pray for that because you don't know what happened there before. You know, my wife and I, we've got married. We haven't moved a whole bunch. We've been living in the same apartment now for the last 37 years now. So we haven't moved a whole lot. But every time we went into a place, we consecrated that place. And I'm really legalistic. You want to know how legalistic I am? When I get a new car that I've been driving or another car, I pray and anoint it. Pull out of the dealership, pull over, pray and anoint it. Amen. And when somebody comes into my car wanting evil, they're going to get arrested, flattened out. I don't even have to call the cops. I don't walk with fear. You cannot operate your life in fear. Don't be arrogant, but you can't walk in fear. You've got to walk confident that the Lord's going to take care. He's going to protect you. And let me just go a little further because we're going to be praying for keys here today. Anyone connected to you will be blessed as well. As you walk in righteousness and do the right thing, do the right thing before the Lord. Amen? You will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. They can't help but be blessed. People will come into your home, and they're going to see. They're going to feel the presence of something. What's going on in this place? And it's that God has established your home as a sanctuary, as a place for your peace, as a place for you to find respite. I believe that. And Jesus prayed about that. He says, protect them. From the works of the evil one. There are evil forces out there. There are also people that are overwhelmed with evil. And that their mission on life is to do evil. That's going to happen. But you cannot live paralyzed by fear. You know, and some, and some of it is not even people. You live on past things that stop you from moving forward. Don't let evil control your life. Don't let fear control your life. Uh, the Lord will set you free from that fear. Hallelujah. God has plans over your life. And walk with confidence, not cocky, but confidence that you're going to be blessed. Don't alter what the Lord has told you to do because, or the plans that you have over your life because of fear. Some people don't get on a plane still today because they're afraid. Manage that fear. Adult people manage their fears. You know, children manage their fears too. You know how children manage their fears? My, my oldest granddaughter, she's 12 now. When she was very little, she always used to come running to me. She, say, she calls me Abba. Anybody comes around, anybody, anyone comes around. Abba, pick me up, pick me up. Abba, pick me up. She was a little, little thing. Pick me up. I used to pick her up. You know what? When you're feeling fearful, jump into the hands of the Lord, into the arms of the Lord. Let him embrace you. You're going for that test. You're going for that whatever it is, that interview. <laughs> oh, man, do I do arrow prayers? They're called arrow prayers. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Arrow prayers. That means... <laughs> and those can be done in an elevator, going up to the interview. Going to take a big test. 
One of the most stressful moments in testing for me in my academic journey was when I, def when I was defending, when I went for, to defend my doctorate. You sit before people that wrote the book in these subjects, and they're sitting in front of you, and then just before I went in, it's a, a two-hour oral test that they ask you questions of whatever they want to ask you, whether you get your hair done, anything. They can ask anything. <laughs> just before I go into the meeting the night before, they tell me, by the way, this distinguished professor of biblical history has just joined our faculty here at the seminary. And he has decided of all the applications to sit in your defense. So he will be sitting there asking questions. And then to further, my wife went with me for the defense. And then they asked her to go in there into the room. And I said, no, no, don't sit, because I didn't want her to see me get sliced up and torn up by these people. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. Anybody have ever gone through a test and, be, and be, you know, you're like, talk about panic and anxiety? Yeah? Arrow prayers, they work. I had, the, I had the quiver filled with arrows that morning. Man, I'm telling you, is it just me? I might look like I got it all together, but some things can stress you a little bit. Amen? And you just send those arrow prayers in there just minutes before God catches arrows. Boom. And you know, you know the story that I, got, I, I, I defended? Uh, successfully and got out, but my goodness, was that scary. You cannot operate into your future overwhelmed by fear. You cannot. It paralyzes you, and the enemy, what he does, he fans the flames of sparks of fear that are inside of you. He makes it seem bigger, and you, you've all confronted the situation you thought that was huge, insurmountable, and then you walk through the situation, and you realize, wait a minute, that wasn't that such a big deal. But the enemy uses smoke, smoke and mirrors to make you convinced that you're never going to make it. You're never going to be able to do it. No one from your family has ever achieved these levels. You're not going to get the apartment. You're not going to get the job. And you're not going to get you're not, whatever it might be. And then we don't achieve because fear holds us back. The enemy is the evil one. And God prayed to the Father, protect them from the evil one. He also prays, and you jump to verse 21 and 22 and 23 of the text. And he prays the following prayer. He says, Father, just as you and I are, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one as we are one. The general overarching theme of John 17 is unity, harmony, complementation, not competition. And we find in this verse, Jesus prays specifically for us that we would be living in harmony. Church, we have to be a community of people that get along. That doesn't mean that after the service you invite everybody to your house for dinner. Especially not today, we're still fasting. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. That doesn't mean that you're going to be... I've told you this before. There's some people that you... Right? And then there's some people that you love them so much, and that's not that you're being differential, but in a way you are, what you're do, and that you hug them all the time. Right? We have to be a people that work at getting along. There are people that are going to irk you, that are going to hurt you, that are going to make you bleed. But Jesus was praying for unity. And unity is complementation, not, not, not competition. Complementation. If you look at the engineering marvels of a car, uh, there are opposing forces. If you look at an engine, an combust internal combustion engine of a car, you'll find pistons are going in different directions, pulling each other on a crankshaft to different directions that won't get down to the drive shaft, to the wheels, that then the friction on the wheels will catch the, 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 the ground and then move you forward. There'll be no motion. But then engineers are able to design it in such a way that reciprocal uh, motion and centrifugal force can be harnessed and can be honed so that a car moves forward in 
harmony. In harmony. And harmony means that my job while I'm here on earth is to work at having you achieve your goals as well. There has to be a mutuality. I'm writing a book. I don't know when it's going to be published, but it's about uh, uh, sympathetic, uh, not sympathetic. It's about synergistic leadership. And that is that I need you. You need me, but I need you as well. That there's a complementation that happens in things. It, the worst thing is someone that says, I can do this for you. Don't worry, I got this for you. Watch out for people like that. When people understand systems and understand that there's complementation, if, if the conductor gets up there and says, no, no musicians play because I got this, you're not going to hear any music. But when he gets up and he then coordinates, synthesizes, inspires, just with his hands, you're able to hear music that makes you feel well. And that's what the church needs to be. In fact, Jesus takes it further. He says, Father, that they are one, <coughs> excuse me, as you and I are one. There's a complementation that happens in the, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not a competition that exists in that entity, that divine cosmic entity. Jesus is saying that they, they be one just as you as, and I are one. That the world may see, I, I want you to see this, that the world may be able to experience and know uh, you through our unity. That the world may experience through their getting along that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior. That was his prayer. And you and I need to strive to work. And again, there's people that irk you. Do you know anybody that irks you? All right, let me speak to those that speak truth today and that don't lie. Do you know anybody that irks you? Oh, okay, okay. The thing is, they irk me. I'm going to get away from them. You need to be praying, looking, trying, seeing if there's a bridge, if there's a possibility. Now, there's some people that will never, ever, ever, ever yield to you. But let it be on them. Let it be on them. You can assume this posture. Even though they don't ask, I still forgive. Amen. Did not Jesus say on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? So that is a possible uh, road for you and I as well. And they may not even know that you left them off, off the hook of your life, <clears throat> of, of unforgiveness. And so Jesus prays very clearly here of unity, of getting along, getting together. Why? Because the mission that he was on to rescue the world, the mission of love, from God the Father was not going to be done anyway but by a unified, a, a harmonious entity called the church. Finally, in my observations, this prayer not only was Jesus praying for us, powerful, not only Jesus praying for our protection, unbelievable, but he also prayed for unity, as I just mentioned. And the last one I want to talk about is that Jesus prayed in verse 24 of 17. This is what he said. He's felt, he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Look at this. Sometimes scripture can be a little bit confusing. The previous verses, Jesus already spoke that I am not, not in this earth. I am going to be with you. So he's writing from a position or a place, a context of he's already in eternal places. This prayer says, I want them to be with me. So you know what Jesus is praying? That you and I drop dead. I just saw a couple of people that were like doing this around to me. I won't tell you what section. I'll talk to you after the service. It's a good place to sleep too. God bless you. Just come. Don't worry. Hallelujah. 
right? Look at it. If we get literal on the text, the previous verses in context, have, he has said, I'm with you. So he's writing from a vantage point of not having his feet planted here, but already being, being in eternity. And he's saying, Lord, I'm praying that they would be with me. But let's explain it, because that's not what he meant. Sometimes there are areas in our lives that need to die so that we can live. Some, there are some things in our journey that need to be excised or cut out in order for the body to function. The people in this audience that are living without an appendix. If the doctor left the appendix that was inflamed inside of you, it would have killed your entire body and destroyed you forever. But they took it out in order for you to live. There's things in our, there's friends that we have, come on, that you had last year that you know did no good by you. There's relationships that what they did rather than bring you up, they brought you down. That you met them happy and you left sad. That you left filled with joy and promise, all of a sudden they killed your dreams because they're people that are dream killers. That, it's true. It's just true. And he's saying that you needed to die, that Lord, that they would die so that they could be with me. There's two applications. One is that one. That there's things in, in life. And Lord, and, and, and brothers and sisters, I'm not going to dictate your friends. You dictate your friends. You dictate who you have over in your house and you hang out with. That's your stuff. That's not mine. You have to give account for your, your stuff, not, not me, for you. But sometimes we follow after toxicity. Someone abusive and we go after that abusive person. Someone that injured us and insulted us and we go after that individual. Someone that gives us poison throughout our experience with them, but for some reason that psychologists can't figure out, we still go after that. The bad boy is dead. God has given you a good boy in Jesus Christ Amen. that doesn't want to put you down and abuse you and bully you. He wants to lift you up. Come on, you can praise the Lord because it's true. But we have to make the decision. And I'm telling you that we need to cut out stuff in our lives that are just bringing us down behaviors and, and, and things that we do, custom. You know, I don't think Facebook is good for everybody. I really don't. I don't think emailing is good for everybody. I, there's a, there's some people just can't handle Like I always say, there's no problem with the beach, but somebody can't, some people can't go to the beach. Because seeing a half-naked whatever woman, because now you, anybody, it makes them go, their mind go to hell. Some people can't, there's some movies people can't watch. It's not that I'm anti this, you just, you watch a commercial and right away your brain goes where it shouldn't go. Don't watch commercials, throw out all your TVs, don't um, donate them. I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm serious, because we have a tendency, and it's the worst thing, to go back to the filth that is bringing us down. Last year, and I don't have to, you don't have to enumerate, but last year you think for a moment there were situations, conversations, interactions, phone calls, emails, texts that you got that did not add value to your journey. Detracted. All I am saying is Jesus is saying, Lord, they need to kill some of that stuff. The second interpretation for this text is actually the... the the, on, the, on the more, that was practical, on the more biblical side. And that is that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place that where I am, there shall ye also be. And the commitment the Lord is making in this prayer to the Father, it says, Prior, Father, I pray that where I am, they, they can also be with me. And that is that Jesus has paved the way that you don't have to be afraid of tomorrow, be afraid of even dying, because the Lord's got that covered. I got that, he's telling you today. He's got that. Through faith in him, we don't have to be worried. Now, I don't live my, my life afraid of dying. I know that if the Lord should tarry, there's going to be that door that's going to open. I'm going to go, oh, oh, it's here. I am going to say that. 
uh-oh, the death door is here. But I'm not going to flip out because I trust this prayer that the Lord has said, I got this. Don't worry about this. Now, like you, I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm kind of concerned about the way of dying. Drowning is not on the top of the list. Do I have an amen in the house? Amen. I mean, let's understand scripture. We, we, can, we can make it very practical because that's what the Lord wanted to do. And, you know, you, we all have our scenarios, or maybe you don't. But I'm not afraid of passing off. Why? Because I know. See, he, he, here's the key for our visitors as well. Everybody. Say everybody. Or well, let's be grammatically correct. Everyone. everyone. Say it again. Everyone, everyone. Will live forever. Everyone. 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 Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, sarcastic, moody, rich, poor. Everyone. Where the package will be sent. Depends on you on this side. Listen to what I just said. You have to put the stamp on your eternity, on the mail, on the package. Don't call UPS or FedEx. They don't go. They don't deliver there. <laughs> and the stamp has to say, covered by the blood of Jesus. That's simple. It's that simple. Not having there, the package will be lost. And I mean in the full weight of that declaration. It will be lost. It won't be found. In Christ, we can live this life, what makes this life bearable. We can live knowing that we will dwell with him in eternal places. And that's what Jesus was praying. He said, Father, that where I am there, they shall also be. But it depends on you. He prayed that, but it depends on you, and it depends on me on the decisions we make on this side. That was the prayer of the Lord. You want to have a great life, a phenomenal future, an incredible 2017, you want to be able to move away and walk away from the stuff that held you back? Make Christ a priority over your life. Let him put that stamp seal of approval on you. And the future will be taken care of. And eternity will be as well. We, we do in our Christian circles a going home service when a loved one, a Christian loved one dies. And that is because it's not really, it's over on the earthly side. But they're really resting in eternal places. That's where they're resting. That's the hope I have of loved ones that have passed. That's the hope you can have. That's what Jesus was praying there. So he prayed very emphatically for us. He prayed. He prayed for our protection against the evil one to arrest him and put him aside. He prayed for our unity, that we would be uh, living harmoniously and that we would complement, not compete against each other. And then the fifth one, he offers to us eternal rest. Let's bow our heads.